Um, we're beginning a new uh, series uh, for the next seven weeks uh, called Live No Lies, based uh, from the book uh, of the same name by a guy called John Mark Comer. Uh, I'd really encourage you uh, to read it. If you want to, you can buy it on Kindle. I have no idea where the Mana Bookstores um, stock. I've, I've kind of given up a little bit. Um, not that there's any problem there, but... I know what they stock, and I'm, man, what if that visits there? You should buy it. If not, book depository, Kindle, whatever. Great book. Um, and, and for me, one of the most helpful books I've read in a while, um, just helping me kind of work out why, does it, why is it so full on right now? Uh, and we're going to explore some of this stuff because it's interesting. We've gone through like a couple of years of crazy intensity, right, and uncertainty. And the interesting thing. Um, there's two things that I find interesting. Number one, because of all that we've gone through in the last couple of years, like we're just in a bit of a vulnerable place with our souls. That's like kind of the reality. People just aren't bouncing back. I don't know what your work's like, but the kind of vibe right now is, oh, we're, we're back. We can travel. We're not, mandate's gone. It's sweet. And so it's almost like we're expected to operate at 100% pre-COVID levels, but we're all pretty fatigued and like over it and weary and everyone's got a fairly short work at the moment and so it's like man it can be quite full on but the other observation I've got is that we're also in a bit of denial about how tough it's been because no one wants to talk about it you can feel it in the room right now oh would you shut up talking about how tough the last couple of years have been that's a form of grief it's a form of grief where we just don't want to talk about it and we'll move on and pretend it hasn't happened rather than deeply process it with Jesus Okay, so, but the main point is that, there's just an observation, the main point is that it puts us, our souls in a bit of a vulnerable place. And this isn't just like anecdotal uh, or, or some sort of subjective thought from the pastor. This is kind of pretty objective. Um, there's some good data around this. Let's just look at airline behaviour. Behaviour on airlines. Next slide, everyone. Um, there's uh, been, that's all I was wanting. Um, <laughs> everyone's waiting for this real profound thing. It's a picture of a plane. Um, <laughs> So pre-pandemic, um, pre-pandemic um, behaviour on planes was actually really good. In terms of like number of passenger incidences where like they'd have to divert a plane and like someone got crazy on the plane, you're talking about 10 people that would wig out a month across the world. So that's a lot of really well-behaved travellers, right? Because travel puts you under a bit of stress. Last year in 2021, the average was 500 per month. That's a significant increase. This is like we're having to divert the plane because someone's just gone nutty. Things are calming down a little bit less. But the reality, even last year, was like way less travellers, a lot more stress, people really right on the edge of, of coping. And uh, what's happened over the last couple of years, as I've said many times, is that this is exposed for the average punter, for the Christian. Like how strong uh, are your foundations? Like how solidly are you planting your life on the rock? Because the storm culturally has come, we've gone through some stuff. And so again, just anecdotally, I'm like, I've watched people that have done the work, that are like, they've done the work, particularly in their devotional practice, practices before COVID hit. And, um, and, they've, and then like, you've, you know, people like Ryan and Joe were sharing last week, other people have gone through COVID plus other quite traumatical, serious life things. And if people have done the work in terms of like, now I've got a devotional life and I'm, I'm again, the, um, the whole thing of... Um, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which was you've got to apply the word to your life, not just hear it. People that had done that, I, my observation is I overall coped better than people that hadn't done that work to build those some sort of practices. So again, but regardless of whether you've been smashing it or not, you're just, our souls are in a vulnerable place right now. 
And so most people are like, I think are wondering like, man, I feel super tired, worn down. Just not, not just in body, but in mind. Like, why do I feel so battered and bruised? Why does every day feel like a battle just to stay faithful to keep following Jesus? Anyone else? But here's an idea. Maybe because it is a battle. Maybe like, this is my point one for sermon this morning. We're in a spiritual battle. And, and like the, the reality is that like we're in this battle. We were actually in this battle pre-COVID and all the rest of it. It's actually the waters we swim in. Uh, is a spiritual battle that's going on around us. Now, things I think are ramping up in intensity 100%, and I'm going to explain why in a second. But I'm like, man, it's not a question of whether you're in a battle or not. It's whether you're going to win or lose that battle. And this series, I'm like, I want to equip us to flourish and to be overcomers in Jesus. But let's just, I want to depress you a whole lot this morning. So first of all, so that's, let's start there. But here's, let's zoom out a bit and look just outside of the last couple of years, what's happened in Western culture and our generation, like in one generation, which contributes to this feeling of feeling pretty overwhelmed. In our generation, this is what's happened. Number one, and this is, I'm ripping again, this is ripping off John Mark Homer's book now. Number one, those who profess to follow Jesus have moved from the majority to the minority in our generation. John Mark Comer says this, as followers of Jesus, our worldview and value system and practices and social norms are increasingly at sharp odds with those of our host culture. We face constant pressure from both the left and the right to assimilate and follow the crowd. So the Christian worldview in one generation has moved from the majority worldview to now the minority worldview. So consequently, point two is that our place within culture as followers of Jesus and Christians has moved from a place of honour to a place of shame. Yay! Uh, So the church is seen as part of the problem, not the solution. (laughs) With the radical moral reversal around human sexuality, gender, the life of the unborn, we actually now have the moral low ground in many people's eyes. Jesus' vision of human sexuality is perceived as immoral by a large swathe of the population. And then thirdly, and this again all just flows on from each other, consequently, we've entered a time of just that, of, of hostility towards the church that's starting to creep up a little bit. A growing number of our secular friends and neighbours think of us not just as weird because we eschew premarital sex, give away a percentage of our income and refuse to be held captive by a political party or ideology, but we're seen as dangerous as a threat to secularism, secularism's alternative vision of human flourishing. Yay. <laughs> cool. I mean, following Jesus these days, like certainly passion, this is the thing that's so interesting and why I'm actually quite excited to be a pastor. I'm like, gone are the days where you could just turn up to church and be a fan of Jesus. And like... It's like, mate, why would you bother with all that's going on in our culture in terms of this whole vibe? You either got to be all in now, like you're either going to be fully devoted, or you're just going to struggle to hang in there with that much pressure culturally with you. It's funny, like, you know, binge watching entire seasons of TV shows on Netflix, normal. Spending thousands of dollars on holidays, normal. Train hours for, you know, a week to maintain our looks, normal. You know, going completely bananas on sport. Again, struggle here. Personally, it's all right. Normal. Following every bit of world news and filtering it through our political leaning, normal. Devoting your life to Jesus, extreme, probably unhealthy. Again, John Mark Comer. We we swim in this quasi-religious Western dogma 
that human beings are evolving towards a utopian future where we will at long last shed the tired constraints of religion and superstition, which are the same thing, and embrace our destiny as enlightened individualists, finally free to enjoy our lives one flat white and tinder date at a time. Like, there's this, so, so here's the ultimately what we've got to start with is, is human flourishing found in that secular vision or is human flourishing found in the way of Jesus? Like there's actually, that's the crossroads you all have to decide. Is human, like, is your soul going to flourish with, with all that I just said in terms of like there is a Western philosophy on what it looks like for enlightened humans to flourish or is it the way of Jesus? And so um, there's a battle going on for your soul when it comes to all that stuff. When you look further back in history, the church has gone through some really tough times. So it's not like, oh, poor Western church, what we're going through right now, oh, it's unprecedented. Like, as you hear this, was unprecedented. So, well, yes, in our generation it is, what, what, what we're going through, 100%. But this is not unprecedented when it comes to church history. The church has found itself on the fringe and persecuted for its belief in the Sermon on the Mount and the way of Jesus plenty of times in church history. And beautifully, this is when the church starts to really find its groove. This is when the church really comes alive. Because it, it starts to cost you to be part of this thing. It start, it, you, you actually have to be a bit radical to follow Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord, let it, let it be, let it stir up that radical thing of like, no, it's the way of Jesus or bust. Like that's what's going on right now. And so I think this time is actually a, a, a gift. But lastly, to really dive the depression home, how are the All Blacks doing, eh? Sheesh, Eddie's feeling pretty confident about his game against them, I'm sure. It's like, you know, it's like, oh dear, you know. Um, this is just that picture from that other weekend, looking really defeated. Four games, Lost the series first. Anyway, we won't, I won't go there. But you know, I, I really, I miss Brad Thorne. <laughs> While we're on the subject, you know, like, just, he just was a machine. And I'm like, the guy played league before he, you guys, he's actually got a point, he's actually going, yeah, no, like the guy played league before he played union. He barely missed a game. And he was just like, you watch the guy and it's like, you know, a whole lot of crazy, big, tough other opposition people there. You know, and it's like, gets up. And, you know, and it's just a human battering ram that kept going. I like him as a Christian. <laughs> Pretty cool. Um, and in this interview, he's like, man, the workload of the All Blacks, you know, like, because he's playing provincial rugby, Super 14 rugby, the All Blacks rugby, he'd switched from league to union. He was like, no, nah, I'm just used to it. And here's my point about Bragg Thorne. Is that he had normalised the fact in rugby it was just constant war, and we need to do the same. We need to normalise the fact that we're in a battle. We are at war. Now, the tricky thing is, you're like, oh, no, I don't want to be reminded that we're in a war. I don't have much in the tank to fight. Here's the good news of the gospel, is that we don't fight with the weapons of this world. No, we have divine power. To, to break down those strongholds. That's good news. He can strengthen you in your inner being. Like he, by his Holy Spirit, wants to bring revelation through this series because I'm going to talk in a minute, we're all got to work through some stuff here, but it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so even though we're all at a bit of a low ebb, it's the perfect time, in my opinion, to go, how can we be overcomers? Because, um, but, oh, let me, sorry. 
let, let me unpack how we're going to chop this up again from John Mark Comer's book. Our generation has a low comfort level with military, military metaphors and faith. We prefer to think of following Jesus as a journey or a lifestyle rather than a war. But our spiritual ancestors did not share our reticence with war imagery. They were far more adroit, which means um, comfortable, or or, um, uh, articulate, at naming the realities of our spiritual conflict than we are today. For centuries, teachers of the way of Jesus used a paradigm that's been lost in the modern era, that of the three enemies of the soul, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so they, they, these guys like throughout church history have been like, no, we're at war. There's these three dynamics going on that we're all just swimming in that we're at war with. And in many ways, they're kind of like a counter-trinity to God himself. The world, the flesh, and the devil is trying to rage against the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what's at stake is the flourishing of your soul. So we've got to normalize, like Brad Thorne, that we're at war and we've got to attack the enemy line. <laughs> the Bible says we've got to fight the good fight of faith. Paul told the Ephesians to put on the full armour of God. Next slide, Ramon. Um, So that you can take the stand against the devil's schemes. He prayed that their pastor Timothy would fight the battle well. He was careful to note that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of evil, and that the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. He nonetheless claimed that we have divine power to demolish these strongholds. He uses these military metaphors. Now, this is interesting because uh, for the first three, four hundred years until Constantine, the early church was largely pacifist, very small minority with adjustable theology. And like that was tested, unlike most of the boys in the room today, that was tested. It was like, so they were like, no, we would far rather die than kill another person and all sorts of stuff. So hardcore pacifists. Again, I want to say, lads especially, make sure that your theology of violence is informed by the Sermon on the Mount, not by a band of brothers. I think we idealise all sorts of stuff when it comes to war. Read the Sermon on the Mount over and over and over again. That's the courageous way of Jesus, who he embodied to the point of death himself on the cross. Anyway, let's not go too far on down that track. But here's the reality is that but, but we are in a war, and so the early church used these metaphors to talk about this war that's taking place in our soul. Jesus was really upfront about this. In John 10, he says this, The thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And later in John 8, verse 44, he talks about the devil. He says, He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar, the father of lies. So there is an enemy, and we're going to talk about the the way we're chopping up this series. We're going to talk about the devil, and we're going to talk about the flesh, and we're going to talk about the world. And we're going to do two Sundays on each. This is the introductory talk. And so next week, for the next two weeks, we're going to talk about the fact there is an enemy. There is a devil. Um, And we're not going to do that to get all scared about the devil. We're going to do that to expose his tactics and whatnot, and to be in awe of our glorious God who has conquered him. Right, so it's not, we're not going to get intimidated by the enemy, but we're going to get smart. As Zach De La Rocha said from Rage Against the Machine, come on church, know your enemy. We've got to know your enemy. How do you work? So how does the enemy work? And we're going to unpack this in more detail. His primary strategy is lies. He's the father of lies. So what does he do? As he takes something true, and he doesn't like tell some crazy lie, the sky's red. He twists and distorts and just changes it a little bit. Like you see when Jesus is facing the the devil in the wilderness, like he's quoting scripture, but he's just distorting the reality of what's happening there. Um, 
and this is what he does. And, and so this is, I think, what's happening in, in culture. Um, this is a picture of a dog trying to drink water. Um, and I think this is the perfect metaphor for the world that we live in. But here's, so here's what's happened, is that uh, all around us, people are trying to drink, and they're like, why am I not satisfied? Because it's a mirage, because the devil has just distorted the truth enough that it promises something but does not satisfy and so there's the truth, like there's Jesus with his little, you know, where's the little pottle of water that's going to actually satisfy the thirst. The enemy just turns it a click. And so, um, so the, the devil's the master at lies. Uh, and, um, and our battle is actually for truth because it's the truth that sets us free, to live in truth. And so the issue that we're hitting in this series is not don't tell lies, though that's good biblical advice, Right? Um, <laughs> it's really good. But actually, way more seriously than that, don't live lies. Ideas, because this, this is how the enemy works. He, he, he says something, and like there's a truth, there's something that you believe is truth in your mind, but it's not truth. It's been skewed a little bit, and therefore, it's no longer truth. And we live out of this worldview. These, they become like a mental mind map. And then we're wondering why our, why our soul isn't flourishing. Uh, a fish. Um, swims past another couple of fish and says, mate, how's the water today? And keeps on swimming. The other two fish keep swimming and the one fish to the other says, mate, what's water? Everyone's like, what the heck are you talking about? For the fish, there is no water. It's just the world they swim in. How's the water? They don't know there's water. And it's the same for us. We have these worldviews that are like just the water for us. We can't see them. I, and this is the reality. I don't know, standing before you today as a pastor, I don't know what lies I believe that are my worldview. That who I am, how the world works, all that sort of stuff. And we saw over COVID time, people working overtime to try and understand what was going on in the water around them. And then everyone's getting really annoyed at each other because it's like, what are you doing swimming in that water? Clearly we're over here in this water, Right? No, I'm not going to go I'm, I'm deep into that. But that's just an example. I don't know, what I, I don't know where that's been twisted, but I know where he has brought life and freedom to me and where there's some truth is, for sure. And what anchors me is his word. And what anchors me is the way of Jesus. Like that's my, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Like he is, he is my North Star. He's my plumb line. He's the one, I, I'm like, come. And he loves bringing freedom to captives by bringing truth, revealing truth. So the overall idea um, behind the series is this, is that um, the end, we're in this war because the devil comes with deceptive ideas that play to the disordered desires of our flesh that then become normalised in our sinful society. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And we swim in this. Where deceptive ideas that play to disordered desires become normalised in a sinful society. The devil, the flesh, and the world. Our culture is, around us is not driven by the Holy Spirit. It's driven by the flesh. And so the devil gets into this with a deceptive idea 
And because these days there's very little restriction about what you can do with your flesh, these behaviours quite quickly and rapidly get normalised in our society. That can actually be really destructive for the human soul. But we're called to be led by the Spirit, not by the flesh. We're called to be led by the Holy Spirit to live in all truth. Let me give you a couple of examples about how that can play out. Can not go back, sorry? So the deceptive idea, I mean, we'll, we'll talk, I'm going to talk about a couple of ideas here to show, show how this kind of can tease out. So sometimes um, a deceptive idea can be, um, I'm, not, I'm not worthy to be loved because of what I've done in my history. And so we feel shame. This, has been, this is one of the things that the Lord has set me free from. And I remember vividly where I was, where the truth set me free. Because I struggled with pornography and stuff in my 20s. And I'd felt a lot of, you know, I'm also doing some ministry stuff as well in there. So, you know, great combination there in terms of feeling like a million bucks. Hello, hypocrite alert. You know, it's like, cool, man, what a great pastor I am. So I'm struggling with this dynamic in my life. And of course, then shame enters into my up here. And literally, it becomes a default. Like, I just can't be forgiven. Like, well, maybe I can be forgiven, but I, should, I deserve to feel really rats. I deserve to feel really rats. Look at those things I've done. And it just becomes like in there. And then like, there's this part of my flesh that's like, yeah, sicko. <laughs> you know, and you speak this stuff over. And then it's now that this doesn't quite hit into the culture thing, even though um, there's a whole cancel culture thing going on, but it's like, it's for its own kind of moral framework at the moment, cross certain lines and we're going to cancel you and all that sort of stuff. So that's probably not, we don't float into that space there. Um, but certainly in the church world that I'm swimming in, it's like, we're just like, very few people have heard a pastor talk like this. And so therefore everyone thinks that they're a bit of a sicko and no one else is as sick as them, <laughs> Right? And so then this, this enters into my mind and it just robs me of life and my soul. The, the, the devil's got in with a, a distortion of the truth. Now, do I need, am I broken and need some help? Yes. And do I don't confess my sin? Yes. Um, but like this gets into me. And then Steve Graham, who many of you will know, um, was there living in Christchurch and one of my mentors. And I sit down with him. Me and Jen have been having some yarns, obviously, about this within our marriage and stuff, but it was very difficult. And, um, and we're talking through this stuff, and then Steve just is like, you know what one of your big problems is, I think, Sam, is that you've normalized feeling shame in here and here. And I was like, again, it's just the waters I swam in. And he was like, no, I want to challenge that. You need to start challenging. Jesus died and took your shame upon himself. Like, he died so that you would be free from that. And I'm just like, and then he, like, like you need to start challenging that. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That shame cycle that you've got stuck in. And like literally, I remember walking, I remember where I was, we're in, in this little um, Korean restaurant. And I walked, I just remember walking out the door and just being like, all of a sudden I could see. I could see it for what it was. It was like it was like, oh, I can name you. That shame. It has no place in the, the, the life of the Christian. So I'm gonna start challenging that. And honestly, and and interestingly, it actually was one of the key things that set me free from my addictions. It was like actually just going, no, I'm not going to swim in that shame cycle. I'm going to confess my sin, and then I'm going to be clean. I'm going to be clean because that's what he did on the cross, right? This is 101 Christian theology, and I'm struggling to live it. 
That's why I'm so passionate about us taking communion every week. I'm a pastor who struggles to believe it for many years of ministry life. How much more so the average punter that's not swimming in church world every day? Mate, so again, this set me free so that my soul could begin to flourish. That's what Jesus loves doing. That's what Jesus loves doing. Um, Here's one, I'm going to talk to one. I'm going to talk about sex outside of marriage. Now, I'm going to, I want people to know that if that is currently your buzz, this is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And I don't, I'm not like, I don't want to go to the 80s where we're the moral majority and stuff. But this is a, this is a pretty classic example of, of Christian doctrine and moral worldview that's just got kind of skewed, right? So the deceptive idea is that actually um, this is just something grown adults do that's fun physically. And um, as long as consenting adults, it's fun. And so like... It just doesn't, what's the big deal? And so the sexual revolution of the 60s and 70s, again, this is in our generation, there was a huge change from like, oh no, you have sex when you've made a commitment to get married, to like, nah man, free baby, woo, yeah, you know. Um, and interestingly, so, so this, the, so kind of the idea, you know, it's like, no, this is not something that is a deep soul connection. No, this is something that is just fun. And it's fine. So it's this deceptive idea that plays to the disordered desires of the flesh. Like, I'm as horny as the next mechanic, man. It's like, I get that, you know. I, sorry, Conrad, that's the statue around fair. <laughs> you know, but it's like, mate, you know, it's not a red-blooded male in the room that throughout their teenage years was like, you know, wanted to be some stud or whatever. It's like, no, there's this, there's this whole lot of hormonal energy in the flesh that's like, let's go, baby. Here's the thing. Often, our strongest desires are not in the flesh, are not actually our deepest desires. Our strongest desires may not be our deepest desires. Our deepest desires may be to have a soul that flourishes, to live with integrity, to all that sort of stuff. But then we've got these other strong desires that actually can wreck all that stuff. And so then that just gets normalised in our society. Like, like, honestly, right, every single sitcom you watch, anything on TV, it's 100% normal to just sleep around. And so the biblical view of sex is always that it's in the context of a commitment or covenant. It's that you completely give yourself to someone. It's the most intimate thing that you can do with the person. And so the reality is that if you're not married, you haven't given your whole self to that person because you haven't made this commitment, this covenant for life. Marriage is in the Bible designed to unite naked bodies with naked hearts. It's only in the context of a covenant that you can be truly vulnerable. And this is why souls are very vulnerable and often can find themselves like getting really, can go through all sorts of stuff where someone's giving their whole heart, but somebody else, the other partner's giving their body, but not their heart. And it's kind of getting all this dynamic. Rick Warren said there'll be no safe sex until someone invents a condom for the human heart. And so like, so what the enemy does, and here's the biggest thing that he'll do with when it comes to all the sort of deceptive ideas, is that his, one, of his, his most, one of the classic deceptive ideas is that there's no major consequence for this. That's, the, that's one of the biggest lies of the enemy. There's no big consequences to this. Nah, you can do it. But the thing is, there's normally not an immediate consequence, but there is a lag, and then the consequence starts happening. And it's like many people are living against the grain 
of how God's wired us to live and then wondering again why we're really struggling. Now, here's what's amazing about the God that we, we follow. When, you know, again, I, I, anyone that's feeling like they wish they hadn't come to church this morning, I pray that this sets you free. Wherever, wherever we're falling short of, the, of God's ideal, which is sin, his like, here's how we're actually hardwired to live. Anytime we do that, what does he do when we fall short? He, run, he runs towards us. And he embraces us in our, in our pain or dysfunction. And in his incredible grace and kindness, brings healing to our broken hearts. He pours out grace. He wraps his arms around us and tries to, with everything that he has, tell us how much he loves us. Like, that's who he is. So it's like the naughtiest person in the room today, his heart is so strong for you. He's the strongest for you. He's like, I love you so much. But it's like, I feel like I've really been a bit naughty. And he's like, I love you so much. I feel like I've had my, my flipping head in the trout and been in the trough and been really going hard there with all the piggies and throwing away my inheritance and all the rest of it. And there's, he's running down the drove. <laughs> Come home, baby. You know, it's like, that's his heart for us. Isn't he good? Like, that's his heart for us. So again, I don't want this to be a place of condemnation. I want this to be a place of grace and truth. Of grace and truth. Because who was Jesus? He was grace and truth. He was both. Now, the tricky thing is that we can have high grace and low truth. And that's why, like, I only bring up that whole, um, you know, sex outside of marriage thing because I'm like, this is actually a place where we're going to speak truth. And I'm sorry that this is awkward, but you know what? I think it was probably a bit awkward for Jesus when he preached the Sermon on the Mount and he said, don't look like, like at a woman even lustfully. If you do that, it's like you've committed adultery. That might have been slightly awkward for 50% of the people listening. Dudes, right? It's like Jesus still went there. When the woman was caught in adultery, he starts with forgiveness and grace and then it's go and sin no more. So I'm not standing here saying, go and sin no more. But I'm saying, get close to Jesus. But there is truth that he'll start to speak to you because he calls you to your true humanity. He actually believes in you. And every single thing Jesus says is motivated by love and will lead you to life. Everything. So like everything. Now, when we fall short of it, He then restores and redeems and heals us. Hallelujah. But I tell you what, if you've gone through some pain in your life, and most of us have because of decisions we've made that have been counter to the way of Jesus, His heart is that you don't go through it. So his longing of his heart is that you don't go through that. But when you do, He's still with you and He'll pour out His grace and mercy and lift you up and heal you. He's so awesome. But this is, uh, this is again, just so, one of the many examples that we can talk to. Because Jesus, He is the way, and He's the truth, and He's the life. And so I said uh, earlier, this is not a battle that we fight with willpower and gritted teeth. I'm too tired for that fight. But the Bible says that we fight, again, 2 Corinthians, I've already mentioned these scriptures, but next slide. We don't wait, we, we, we have divine power to demolish these strongholds. And Ephesians, I love this, and there's so many more like this, but I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Like that's how we fight these sort of wars. Again, coming back to the absolute foundational thesis here, we have to choose whether the Jesus way leads to human flourishing or the secular vision leads to human flourishing. If he truly rose from the dead, we have to make that decision. And I know that's challenging. 
But, um, but I'm like, man, I've just as I've been preparing this, I've been feeling God's heart for us. He's like, he wants to see us flourish. He wants to see us flourish. And I've come to this conviction that the only way is the Jesus way. And then in a world where it's like swirling around, with, it's like, where do you land? And how do you have, some, like, he gives me a place to land. And he can lead and he can guide and he can shape my moral worldview. And he can shape my, my worldview for what it looks like for human flourishing. It's amazing. So there's three uh, things that I want us to, um, three things I want us to, to, to speak to, to kind of acknowledge as we start. First, firstly, uh, as we come to land in a second, this is the perfect time to acknowledge that we're in a war and we need to normalize that war and we need to fight the war. We're all in it. And I pray that this series will equip you and I'm sure it will. Secondly, we've got to sharpen up on this. We've got to know our enemy so that we can overcome what he's throwing at us. And we're going to, again, explore that. And lastly, that, that God would form us so that we could flourish in Him, that we could flourish in Him. Um, hmm. I know, like, I've been, I've been a bit nervous about preaching this, as you can imagine. <laughs> and, like, I'm like, we, we put all this stuff out publicly, you know. It's like I, I've got cancelled about 20 times in this talk. I'm like, and, and also as a pastor, the last thing I want to do is make anyone feel stink and like ashamed. I've been there. I don't, but you know what I do want is I want Jesus to set us free. And I want Jesus to, and I'm like, this is actually meant to be a place where we come into the presence of a holy God. And he calls us in his grace. Like Titus says, grace teaches us how to live holy lives. Like it's as, as we come into his loving presence, so how do we become a holy people? We're not told off into holiness or guilted into holiness. We're loved into holiness. As we come into the safest place we could ever be, his loving presence. That, and like sometimes we, we're so used to swimming in the waters of our compromise and so used to swimming in the waters of all the, that actually we've forgotten how good our soul could feel when it's actually lined up with the way of Jesus. We've forgotten how good our soul can feel when we've repented of our sin, acknowledged it for what it is. It's sin. And we've said, no, I'm going to turn around. I'm doing a 180 and I'm running towards Jesus, baby, yeah. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to empowered by the Holy Spirit, expose these deceptive ideas. I'm going to overcome the flesh because I don't want my strongest desires to win. I want my deepest desires to win. I want to be known as a man or woman of integrity and depth and it's safe and whole and it's carrying the presence of God. That's my deepest desires. And so this, this little strong desire now for an extra cream bun or another drink or to click on something I shouldn't click on, no, because this is what I want. So empowered by the Holy Spirit, we can start living those sort of lives so that we start smelling and looking and acting like Jesus in our sinful, crazy world in which we live, would actually shine like stars in the southern sky, that our light would shine before men and they would see our good deeds and give our glory to our God in heaven, that they would see people who aren't holy yet, but they're working towards holiness because there's a God that wraps us in His holiness through the cross and we're learning to live up to what we have already attained through His victory on that cross. That's what we're called to be. And this is the thing, I, I was reading Mike Iaconelli. Oh, he, he was a legend. He died a number of years ago. But listen to this. We, this is his book, Dangerous Wonder. 
Oh, what happened to the bone-chilling, earth-shattering, gut-wrenching, knee-knocking, heart-stopping, life-changing awe of God that left us speechless, paralyzed, and helpless? What happened to those moments when you and I would open our Bibles and our hands started shaking because we were afraid of the truth that's in there? I would like to suggest the church become a place of healthy terror again, (laughs) a place where God continually has to say, fear not. A place where our relationship with God is not a belief or a doctrine or theology. It's God's burning presence in our lives. He's like saying, I love this. I'm suggesting, he says, that the tame God of relevance, the God of relevance, be replaced by the God whose very presence shatters our egos into dust, burns our sin into ashes and strips us naked to reveal the real person within The church needs to become a gloriously dangerous place where nothing is safe in God's presence except for us. That's kind of my heart through this. I'm like, I feel like we've got to that point in the battle where we're like, this is going to be a place of grace and truth. And actually we're going to, and you know what I love about it? Because this whole thing of like God's moral vision for us and the Sermon on the Mount and all that sort of stuff isn't to like set a bar that's too high to achieve for you or me. You know what it is? It's God's belief in us that we can. He actually believes in you. He believes that you can walk in purity. He can believe that you can walk in holiness. He believe, And again, the beauty is, every time you miss the mark, he's there with his grace and mercy and dust yourself off. Run to the one who can make you clean. Let your sin propel you towards God, not away from him, all that stuff. He would far rather have you messy than not have you at all. I mean, this is just, this is, I love this. We believe in a God who wants all of us, every bit of us. And he wants us all the time. And he wants our worship and our love. But you know what the the thing he wants most of all is that we would actually just trust him. Deeply trust him that his way leads to life. And I think we've got to be more in awe of God and like, a holy God, like an awe of this holy God. And we're going to have more awe of God than we are of our government or more awe of God than we have of our problems or our beliefs about abortion or our, any of our doctrines of regenerate. It's like, no, God, you're the one we're in awe of. You're the one we're in awe of. Again, as I said, and I come to land with, in a second, maybe, um, is that I'm not here to scare you about what the devil's about. We're going to do this next two weeks, talk about it. I'm here mainly for us to do a series that's like, oh my gosh, isn't he amazing? Isn't he powerful? Isn't the, and that, that Jesus, who's the truth, would stand in our midst and set us free because it's the truth that sets us free. And that, that by the end of the series, like you would actually walk into more freedom and wholeness because you've got a fresh vision of the holy God who calls you to life in him. I come into land with this. John Tyson says this, The joy and satisfaction that come from being faithful to Christ will always be richer than the mere ease that comes from drifting along with the cultural current. There is a joy and satisfaction. There is a joy and satisfaction that comes from following the way of Jesus. That's truly life-changing.